All right, church, how you doing? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Are you excited to be in the house? Good to see you, and I'm so excited that you have joined us this very special weekend as we close out our Lone Voice series. I want to give a huge welcome to all of those uh, on the other side of that camera at every single one of our campuses. Let's give it up for all of our campuses. We are excited that you have joined us, and uh, we love you guys. And I am excited and privileged to have the opportunity to share the word today. And uh, like I said, we're closing out our Lone Voice series. Have you guys been loving this series? I don't know about you, but I've been loving this series, and uh, man, we've heard some, from some incredible communicators, and uh, really been learning how to stand tall, even when it feels like we're standing alone, and uh, everybody knows what next weekend is. We got Easter coming up, and uh, we are pumped for Easter here at Potential Church, and uh, it's going to be exciting, and I hope you'll join us, and I hope you'll invite a friend with you, but this weekend... My teaching title is The Art of Backsliding. Now, what does it mean to backslide? I looked up the definition of backsliding, and it literally means to relapse into bad ways or error. And I think that word relapse is really important. The term relapse signifies that it's falling backward after having at one point moved forward. And how many of you know that's how the enemy likes to work? It's like just when it seems things are going in the right direction, we're on the right track. He likes to put all those temptations and distractions and bring storms into our life. And so that's how, how backsliding can, uh, can happen. And many times we can backslide without even realizing it. And there's a few different areas in our life that we can backslide. Maybe, you know, for some of us, maybe it's our walk with God. Maybe for some of us, it's a diet. Anybody ever backslide on a diet? You know, I was going to get on the treadmill today, but my wife and I were talking earlier, and we thought, well, the more fat we have on our bodies, the more weight to crush the enemy under our feet. So, I mean, come on. Some, it's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. Um, maybe maybe uh, if, if you're a parent, you've experienced this with your children. You know, maybe it's, you know, trying to potty train them, and it's like, yes, just when it seems like they've got it. They backslide, they have an accident. You know, my wife and I, we don't have any children yet, but uh, we do have a puppy, and uh, he just turned one uh, last month. We threw a party for him. Actually, we threw two parties for him, um, one with each side of the family. We had little birthday hats, little doggy-sized birthday hats, and he got lots of gifts and toys. We bought him a denim jacket, you know, because he's got to have style when, uh, when he's out. So, but um, but our, our puppy, when you're teaching a puppy things, um, there tends to be some backsliding. And, you know, one of the things that, that Saint loves to do is he loves to chew, like all puppies do, right? They love to chew shoes and, and bags and anything they can get their, their teeth on. And, and so uh, we've been teaching Saint, no, no, you don't chew. We'll be out and we'll come home and Amber's flip-flops that she left on the floor are all chewed up and we'll spank him and we'll put him in timeout. We'll tell him no. And, and it seems as though he's making some progress. And the other day I came home and I had accidentally left my pair of fossil sunglasses on the couch. And, you know, I, I don't have, uh, you know, a, a, just a ton of, of nice things. But the things I do have, they're like those, you know, the sunglasses or the bag that you, or shoes that you never wear anywhere. You kind of just keep tucked away. And uh, these were those sunglasses. And I had just worn them the previous day. And I get home. And I find these sunglasses on the floor. And the rims had been all chewed up. The lens was popped out. And when I saw that, I was, <gasps> I yelled his name, Saints! 
Say, what did you do? And you know how puppies do. They, like when they know they did something wrong and he puts his tail between his legs. Actually, his tail is just a little nub. But, um, but he, his tail, his, his nub goes down and he's like, you know, just there on the carpet lying down and all scared. And, and I'm yelling at him and I'm telling him no and I'm spanking him. And I'm thinking, man, when is he going to get it? That when you chew things up, you get in trouble. But how many of you know that... Man, God could say the same thing about us, right? Man, if they could just get it, if they could just stop backsliding, if they could just take four steps forward without taking two steps back, their life could look completely different. And you know, when we, when we look to the book of Jeremiah, we've been studying the book of Jeremiah the past several weeks, and, and we've learned that Jeremiah was a prophet to Israel. And many of his prophecies served as a warning or a plea to the people of Israel to turn back to God. And you know, we see in Jeremiah chapter 7 that God's anger burns against those who come into the temple and they pretend to be religious. They cry out God's name and, and yes, God, we love you. You're awesome. We know the temple is here. It's, it's great. And then they go out and continue to live their lives how they please. They go back to serving false gods and, and they're corrupting their bodies and do all these, doing all these wicked things. And we see in Jeremiah uh, chapter 7, God's anger burns against them. Maybe that's you here today. You know, maybe this is the first time you've, you've been in church in a while. Maybe you're someone that comes maybe just once a month and, and you know, you did a mission Saturday. You served once, you know, back a year ago. You gave six months ago. You're good. But maybe you're wondering, is there more to it than this? And the answer is yes, there is. And we see that in Jeremiah chapter 7. It's, it's there in your outline. It's going to be on the screens as well. Jeremiah chapter 7 uh, in verse, oh, got to turn my iPad. Verse, starting in verse 3, it says this. God says through Jeremiah, even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. It says in verse 8, don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and, and other, those other gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those evil things again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wow, that's a pretty scary scripture, isn't it? You know, sometimes we get fired up about reading the encouraging scriptures. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or, or Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's masterpiece. And, but it's harder to read these passages of scripture. But you know, the truth when it comes to the word of God is we can't just take in the parts that we like and ignore the parts that we don't. We got to take all of it. And see, we have to accept the conviction of God in order to experience the joy and fulfillment in God. And I think that's what trips a lot of us up. And so to, to answer that question, why do we backslide? I think it's because oftentimes we replace commitment with emotion. We backslide when we fail to recognize that our relationship with God, our walk with God, our ability to be obedient in every season of life is based on commitment, not emotion. Can I tell you, as a pastor, 
There are many, many, many days that I don't feel like being obedient to God. There's some days I just don't feel it. There's some weekends I walk in and I just don't feel it. I don't have that emotion stirred up on the inside of me. Maybe I'm frustrated about a situation or circumstances. Maybe I'm even frustrated at God. We don't always feel like being obedient, but can I tell you, when I think about why is it that I continue to serve God, it doesn't go back to emotion, but it goes back to a commitment. That because Jesus Christ paid the price for my soul so that I could spend an eternity in heaven, it doesn't matter what situation comes against me, it doesn't matter what circumstance or storm I'm experiencing, it's because Jesus Christ saved me that I have that commitment back to him. And see, when our obedience is grounded not in emotion but in commitment, that's what gives us the strength to continue the path. Obedience is a choice. It's not a feeling. And I think oftentimes many of us can stray from obedience because the enemy tries to manipulate us that there's more freedom in living outside of God's will. Because sometimes it just looks looks like so much more fun, right? I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, like, man, that person, you know, they don't know God at all. And, like, they never come to church, but, like, their life just looks so much more fun than mine. Have you ever felt like that? We can be real. I know I have. Especially when things are getting tough and when you're serving God and you're trying to be obedient, but it doesn't make sense. And God keeps saying, follow him. And you're like, God, I'm trying to, but that person over there looks like they're having a lot more fun than I am. And so sometimes we, we, can, we can respond that way. It can, it can look that way. Like there's more freedom in living outside of God's will. You know, Romans chapter 6 says this, it says, you know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. See, the enemy doesn't want us to know this. He wants us to believe that there is more freedom in disobeying God, living life the way we want to, sleeping with whoever we want to, saying whatever we want to, losing our anger when we want to, maybe committing our word to something but bailing out when something better comes along. He wants us to live according to our truth. That's what most people do these days. They live their life according to their truth, what they perceive to be reality, what they perceive to be real, what they feel comfortable with, what they feel in the moment. And see, Paul reminds us, no, that sin leads to bondage. And we've heard Pastor Choi say it so many times, that sin will always take us further than we ever thought we would go and cost us more than we were ever willing to sacrifice. But that's how the enemy traps us. He makes it look so appealing. He just kind of dangles it in front of our face. Oh, well, if you would just quit this whole God thing, it hasn't worked for you so far. If you just try this, do what you want, do what feels right. But see, the the verse in Romans chapter 6 goes on to say, but offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. See, obedience and submission to God, we don't always like those words, right? Because our flesh naturally wants to be selfish, naturally wants to be rebellious, naturally wants to be in control. But see, submission and obedience to God is not weakness, but it's strength. And it doesn't limit our freedom. It actually opens up the wide, expansive doors to freedom. See, sin can satisfy satisfy us for a season. But every time we continue to sin and live outside of God's will, every time we have sex with that person we're not married to, every time we gossip, every time we lose our temper, every time we act in selfishness, whatever it may be, 
we're actually continuing to add another link to those chains that the enemy wants to use to hold us captive to reaching our destiny. And hear me today, you know what? God has every power in the world to break every kind of chain. He can destroy those chains, he can take off those cuffs. But listen, so often it is the decisions that we make that have the power to sever some of those links. And so today, I just, I wanna give you a few uh, points, a few things I've learned in my life to help set us free. Anybody wanna be set free this weekend, amen. Well, I wanna, I wanna share with you, help us understand three common mistakes that people often make that lead to us backsliding. And the first one is this, we mistake God's protection for God's blessing. We mistake God's protection for his blessing. There's a difference between God's protection and God's blessing. You know, God is a loving father. It says in Psalm 68 that he is a father to the fatherless. But so many people, they don't, they don't have that perception of God. They've heard that God is this, you know, supreme being that's, you know, up, up there and he's just raining fire down. He's an angry God and just sending lightning bolts. But see, the truth is, is that God is a loving father. And just like any loving father, he has a desire to protect his children. We can be living outside of God's will and still experience his protection, but I'm not certain that we can live outside of God's will and experience his blessing. And it happens all the time. You know, for example, I, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, or a teenager, rather, uh, when I would disobey my parents, I got grounded. Anybody get grounded pretty often? See, most of the time how it worked is there would be a warning and then after the warning would be the grounding. And me, Carson, and Bailey weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. So oftentimes we didn't get the warning. We just got skipped straight to the grounding. And um, when, when, when you get grounded, right, you, you, you can't watch TV. You get your phone taken away. You can't go to that party. You can't hang out with your friends. There are some limitations on your freedom. But hopefully for most of us, when we got grounded, our parents didn't kick us out of the house and say, all right, you, you made a mistake. That's it. You're done. You know, hopefully we, we didn't get kicked out of the house. There was still a roof over our heads. There was still food on the table. There was still love and care from our parents. But there were limitations on our freedom. See, I believe the same is true with God. God loves you. God wants to protect you. And you know what? We can live outside of his will and, for, and live in sin for a season, maybe without consequences. But we can't experience the fullness of his blessing. God may be protecting us from certain things, from making a life-altering mistake, but there are limitations on how he can use us in the future. And listen, know this today. God desires to bless you. Do you know that? God wants to bless you. God wants to bless everything you do. God wants you to have a healthy marriage. God wants you to have a great career. God wants to bless you with that promotion. God wants to bless you with that family. God wants to bless you in every area of your life. But see, we can't expect to still live in our sin, live in our mess, and ask God to come over and bless our mess. No, God wants us to be obedient. God wants us to align our will with his will. And until we align our actions, our behaviors, our belief system with the will of God, we won't experience the entire blessing that he has in store for us. You know, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 through 23, this is how the message puts it. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, knowing the correct password, saying, master, master, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. And if you would just circle 
that word serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. Just underline that right there. You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. See, Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Because standing on the dock is not the same thing as getting in the boat. You know, that's where many people have a relationship with God. It's on the dock. When you're on the dock, you can see the boat. You can hear the boat. You can make the decision to step on and step off the boat. But it's when you get in the boat and that boat takes sail that there's no turning back. And you know what, when we make the decision to trust Christ, to be committed to him, yes, there are storms that come along the way. When, we, when you're in the boat and you set sail, when you leave the dock, yeah, there's storms that may come along the way. But when we're in the boat, we can rest assured knowing that that boat is going to get us to where we desire to be safely. And it's those who jump ship during the storm, trying to get back to the dock, what happens? They drown. And you know what, that's, that's where most people give up on God. They commit to God. They say, okay, I'm going to do this. I, you know, maybe they were feeling it in a service, that worship song. Oh, it just spoke right to their hearts. They lifted their hand. They said, amen. Pastor Choi gave a great word. Maybe they even came forward, accepted Christ. But then the moment that they walk out those doors, life hits them hard. And listen, the emotion of it all is not a bad thing if we have the commitment to back it up. But emotion alone is not going to sustain our walk with God. Emotion alone is not going to sustain us through the storm. Standing on the dock is not going to keep us safe. It's when we get in the boat, when we trust Christ, when we commit to him, when we take those step after step after step of obedience that we see God use us in a mighty and powerful way. And so, listen, I want to encourage you to, listen, get in the boat Set sail. Yes, there are storms that may pass along the way, but can I tell you, I see as a pastor so many people that get in the boat, and then when a storm passes, they get angry at God. Well, God, I thought when, when, when I came to church, everything was supposed to get better. I thought when, when I accepted you, when I got baptized, when I started serving, I, just, I thought everything was going to be rainbows and sunshine all the time, and then they jump ship during the storm, trying to make their way back to the dock, and they drown. And all of a sudden, they find themselves so far away from God, so far away from the destiny to which he's called them to. And so I want to encourage us today, commit yourself to God. Commit to obedience, and you will position yourself to be blessed. Sometimes that's the, just the, the only decision we got to make. Okay, God, I'm going to be obedient. I don't know what that fully looks like. I don't have a map. I don't have a plan. Listen, God doesn't ask you to come up with a plan. Guess what? He's already got the plan. He's already got the blueprints. He just asks us to take that first step. Maybe that first step for you is just attending church on a weekly basis. And I get it. You know what? That's, that's, that's difficult. We've got other things going on. There, maybe the kids, they've got, you know, games going on. And you've got this commitment. You've got that commitment. But when we make God our first commitment... That act of obedience has a way of unfolding his plan for our life. All right, so 
So do that second mistake that we often make that leads to backsliding is we mistake the church for a building rather than a body. You know, the church is more than just what you see here. It has more than an external structure. It has an internal structure as well. And, um, you know, I've grown up in the church. My parents have pastored a potential church for the past 16, 17 years. Before that, they pastored a church in Arkansas. So guess where I have been every single weekend of my life? Guess where I've been every Easter, every Christmas, every Christmas Eve, every Christmas Eve's Eve. And you know, growing, especially in middle school and high school, I would tell people that, and they're like, wow, your life sucks. Like, doesn't it suck to, like, be at church every weekend? And, you know, in middle school and high school, it did suck. I'm like, yeah, it does. Thanks. Finally, somebody realizes. Will you tell that to my parents? But, you know, now that I'm an adult and I, and I think, what, what is it that has kept me here for so long? Because I'm at the point in my life, I, I'm an adult. Nobody forces me to be here. My parents didn't force me to take a staff position. Nobody forces me to be here. What is it that has kept me here? And you know what? It's not the building. It's the body. The power's not in the building. The power is in the body. It's through getting involved. It's through getting connected. That is where the power lies. And you know, I see so many people, they walk in every single weekend, and they sit in a chair and they hear a word, but then that's all they do. They never get involved. They never serve. They never show up to an event. They, they never start giving. They, they, there's not a commitment there. They show up, they sit in a chair, they check it off their to-do list, and can I tell you, I don't think God, when we stand before him one day in heaven and we said, God, I came to church, I don't think he's going to be impressed. I think God desires for us to actually be the church because there's a hurting and dying world out there. And God said, you know what, there, it's full of confusion. It's full of chaos. There's so much doubt. People have questions. And God is saying, I've sent you to go because you know what? You have the answer to every question. You have the solution to every problem. You are the light in the darkness. Now go. I think God desires for us to be the church, to get involved, to help build the church. Because it really is that simple. We have the solution. It's Jesus. Every, the solution to every problem, it's Jesus. Jesus came. He died on a cross for our sins so that we could spend an eternity for him. He solved the biggest problem there ever was. But you know what? The world needs to hear about it. They need to see what Christ looks like, and they need to see it in you and I. That's why it's important to be planted in the house of God. Because when we're planted, we're sowing seeds. And listen, as you sow seeds into God's house, listen, those seeds reap a harvest. And not just for you, but for your children, for your grandchildren, for generations to come, for people you may never meet until you get into eternity. But they're reaping a harvest. You know, next weekend is a huge opportunity to sow seeds. It's Easter here at Potential Church, and man, we see just an influx of people. This campus has anywhere between 20,000, 30,000 people globally across. And, and you know, this morning we, uh, we had DoorDash, and uh, we split up into different teams. We went out and we hung door hangers, and my team won. Woo! And this, look, I got, I'm, this, I'm, this is my bragging rights right now. Um, this is my trophy, all right, I, the golden egg, and I get it for a whole year until next year when I win again, all right? My team, we passed out the most door hangers in the least amount of time. We're the first to get back on campus, and 
And you know, when I think about why is it that we do DoorDash, why do hundreds of people show up to get involved and take part? It's not because anybody needs something to do at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. It's not because we need to add more to our calendar. But when I think about the power that those invites have, those door hangers have, listen, that's why hundreds of people show up. It's not to get a task done. It's to be a part of a community that is changing the world. And listen, I told our team earlier, listen, you have no idea the spiritual power that is in that invite card or on that door hanger. You have no idea the single mother who cries herself to sleep every night who is struggling to make ends meet needs to see that door hanger. You have no idea that person who is ready to give up on their life and say, God, if you don't give me a sign, that's it. I'm ending it all. And they go home and they see that door hanger. We heard the story weeks ago of the woman who held onto an invite card for seven years before she ever showed up. It was Flamingo Road Church back then. The church had a completely different name, but she knew exactly where that card was. There is a spiritual power at work in those cards and those door hangers. That's why people show up. But listen, those invites, they don't get out unless someone takes them out. And I think about those who are going to receive those door hangers. And they're going to show up to potential church next weekend. And that may just be the beginning of their journey, but it's not going to be the end. They're going to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're going to encounter him in a way like never before. They're going to get baptized. They're going to start attending every weekend and start seeing how God is changing their surroundings. They're going to commit to serving. They're going to commit to tithing. They're going to become temple centurions. They're going to start leading teams. And now every single aspect of their life is changed simply because a body, a community of people believed enough in the vision to get the word out. That's where the power is. It's in the community. It's in the body. You know, our theme for, for Easter is mosaic, that we're better together. Life is too short to be lived alone. So I encourage you, listen, don't just step into a building. Be a part of a body. And, and I don't know what that, that next step may look like for you. Maybe it's starting to serve. Maybe it's getting involved in a connect group where you can, can do life with some people so that you can meet some people who, who, who can help you out in this journey. Maybe it's the next step is getting baptized. You've accepted Christ, but you've yet to follow him in baptism. But listen, we all have a part to play, and I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 26. It's a little bit of scripture, but I love the metaphor that God uses. He's, he's giving the metaphor of a human body, but he's talking about the body of Christ. And he says this. He says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. See, this passage in 1 Corinthians paints a beautiful picture of what the church is. 
Church is one body, but it's made up of many different parts. And the truth is, is church, we need your part. You may think, well, I have nothing to offer. You may think, oh, no, I don't need to be serving because if you only knew what my life was like, if you only knew my past or the mistakes I had made. Listen, the enemy is so good at thinking us believe that we are unworthy to be a part of the house. And you know what? As a pastor, I hear so many people every week, and I hear people say, you know what? I'm going to start serving when I get my life together. Listen, I'm going through a lot right now, and I am just a mess. You don't even want to know the mistakes I've made. And, and as soon as I get myself right, I'm, I'm going to take that next step. But did you know that you belong here even before you believe? You belong here. You're not here by accident. You're here because God has purposed you to be here, and you have an important part that this body needs. It says in Psalm 139 that God knit you together in your mother's womb, that he gave you the personality that you have, that he gave you the gifts and talents that you have. And listen, God wants to bring all that together to bring glory to him and to his church. Listen, don't let the enemy make you feel like you are unworthy to do something for God. None of us, none of us are unworthy because Jesus Christ paid the price. We all have a part to play. The power's not in the building, it's in the body. And, um, and I, I, I want to end this here. The third mistake that we often make that leads to backsliding is we mistake God's discipline for his punishment. You know, it says in, in Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, uh, we, we, we got the paddle. Anybody else get the paddle when you were a kid? Yep. And um, it's, it's funny. We had this one paddle that was with us from the time I was about seven years old till I was probably about 16. Right, and made the journey with us from Arkansas to South Florida. And uh, this particular paddle had my mother's initials in it, and somebody from the church that they planted in Arkansas had given it to them. And I remember, I, I, it's crazy the things you remember as a kid. I remember standing in the lobby of that church, and this person gave my mom the paddle, and she showed it to me with a smile, like, <laughs> like it's a gift. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I pray that person leaves the church. Like, what are they thinking? Yeah, woo, you know, can't wait to use that. And you know what? The worst part about this paddle is that it had little holes drilled into it so that there was no wind resistance, so that when you spanked, you felt that spanking. And, and like I said, me and Carson and Bailey weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, so we often didn't get the warnings. And so the spankings would come. And I remember when, when my dad would say, all right, he called them, he called them licks. I don't, I don't know if it's a southern thing or, or what. And I'd say, all right, you're getting two licks. And we would just start, no, we're sorry, please, please, no, no, don't get the paddle. It sat above our refrigerator with the handle sticking out just so that before we did something stupid, they would remind us, you know. And so they would go reach for the paddle, and, and I would always plea that I, I had to pee. And if I don't pee, I'm going to pee all over myself when I get spanked. And then I'd go to the bathroom, and I'd take all the toilet paper and stuff as much down my backside without giving it away. And we'd get spanked, and even up, you know, even to the point right before that paddle comes into contact with us, we would, no, please, Dad, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this, we're sorry, we won't do it again. And my dad would always say the same thing before he spanked us. And he would look at us in the eyes and he would say, I don't want to do this, but I have to. 
And I would say, liar! <laughs> then don't do it! Okay, dad, yeah, don't, don't, don't do it. You, you don't have to do that. We're, we're sorry. And he'd say, no, son, I don't want to do this, but I have to. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized what he was saying. He was saying, listen, I don't want to see you in pain. I don't want to punish you, but I love you. And because I love you, I have to discipline you. See, love requires discipline. As a matter of fact, without discipline, I don't believe that love exists. And what my dad was saying is, you know what? I would rather you experience a little pain now. I would rather have you hate me and blame me now in the moment so that you don't have to experience greater pain in the future because I'm teaching you discipline. I am setting you up for the future to which God has called you to. And listen, I believe it's the same with God. God hates to see us in pain. God hates to see us hurting. But sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of our own actions and God is not punishing us, but it's his discipline and he's saying, listen, because I love you, because I see more in you, I would rather you go through some pain now. I would rather you experience it now than experience greater pain in the future because you didn't learn it the first time around. How many of you know sometimes we have to keep retaking the test because we just can't learn the material? Listen, God is not punishing you. You're experiencing his discipline. It says that if you experience the discipline of God, it's because he delights in you. How great is that? Listen, if you're experiencing some pain, maybe from some of your decisions, maybe it's past decisions, maybe you've made some mistakes in your life and, and you're just wondering, is there anything that God can do? Listen, it's just discipline. It may be painful for a season, but God is setting you up for the future. And what I've learned is that when we are obedient, when God is disciplining us, when we are obedient during the pain, when we own our mistakes and say, you know what, God, I have messed up. I know that you, you wanted better for me, but I didn't listen. I chose to run from you. I chose to ignore you. I chose to reject you when we own that, but we commit to walking in obedience. Listen, God steps in and says, yes, you've got it. The light bulb finally went off and he embraces us with loving arms. And if you hear nothing else from this message, I want you to hear this, that God loves you that God has a plan for you, and that God wants to bless you. But have you embraced it? I'm not asking you if you know it. Have you embraced it? Have you embraced the love and adoration that your heavenly Father has for you? Because we embrace it. Can I tell you, our lives start to look different. Because when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. We look in the mirror and we see our failures, we see our mistakes, we see our flaws, but God looks at us through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ, the one who paid for all of our sins on that cross. That's how he sees us. Do you see yourself that way? Do you know your identity in Christ? Do you know and embrace the love and adoration that he has for you? Do you embrace the plan that he has for your life? Do you embrace that he wants to bless you? But listen, we gotta position ourselves for that blessing. And I want to I wanna end this here. I want to reread that chapter there 
in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 3 to 7. And and this time I want to read it in the message translation because there are some specific words that I think are going to jump out to us. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, we read it at the beginning of service. And again, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. He's speaking to Israel, asking them to, to turn from their wicked ways. And he says this, clean up your act, the way you live, the things you do, so I can make my home with you in this place. Don't for a minute believe the lies being spoken here. This is God's temple, God's temple, God's temple. It's total nonsense. Only if you clean up your act, the way you live, the things you do, only if you do a total spring cleaning on the way you live and treat your neighbors, only if you quit exploiting the street people and the orphans and widows, no longer taking advantage of innocent people on this very site, no longer destroying your souls by using this temple as a front for other gods, only then will I move into your neighborhood. Only then will this country I gave your ancestors be my permanent home. Do you know that God wants to make a home in your heart? God wants to move into your neighborhood, into your family, into your workplace, into your situation. And not just the parts of your heart that you think he'll be pleased with. God wants a home in every part of your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the broken, the messed up, the jagged. God wants a home in every piece of your heart. And that's the great thing about God is he can take the broken pieces and turn them into a beautiful mosaic of his light and his love. But my question to you today is, what in your heart is taking up the space where God should be? And I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I'm, I want to pray for you. But, but before I do, I just want you to get really honest and really serious. Okay? Nobody's looking. This is just between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Again, this is, this is you and God having a conversation. But I want you to get honest about what area in your life is taking up a place in your heart where you know God should be. Maybe it's a relationship you know you shouldn't be in. Maybe it's friendships that pull you in the opposite direction of God. And you say, well, well, you don't understand. I can't end it. I can't break off that relationship or that friendship. They'll never understand. I, I, know, I, I know that they bring me down, but, but they're fun to be around. And, or, or I love them. And, but listen, let me tell you, you can't take everyone into the destiny God's called you to. Maybe for you today, it's time to make that decision. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's fear, doubt, insecurity. Maybe it's a lack of commitment. You come and you visit God and you come into a building and you sit and you hear a word, but you're not growing in your walk with God. Just get serious for a moment. You know, like I said, God loves you. And once you've identified that area in your life that is taking up space in your heart where God should be, I want you to know that God's not angry at you, but he loves you. And right now in this moment, he is calling you back to him. And he embraces you with open arms. Don't be afraid that that you've messed up too many times or you've made too many mistakes. Listen, God's going to meet you right where you are. But thank God he loves you too much to let you stay there. Father, I thank you 
that you are a loving God. Father, I pray that that we wouldn't live outside of your will for our lives and be okay with protection, God. No, we wanna strive for your blessing. Father, we believe that you wanna bless every area of our lives, God, our business, our workplace, our family, our marriage, our children, our finances. But God, I pray that you would show us the way. God, I pray for those who have yet to take their next step. Maybe they've accepted you as their Lord and Savior, but they've never been baptized. Maybe they attend once a month, but they know they need to start coming every weekend. Maybe it's, it's those who sit in a chair, but they need to be a part of a body. They need to start serving. They need to join a connect group. They need to start doing life with people because they have a very specific part that this body needs. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to embrace your discipline. It's because you love us. And God, I pray that we would learn the lesson this time around so that we don't have to experience greater pain in the future. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a hand.